presented by Gavin Bradshaw and Nick Burbage, where friends and guests introduce each other to something they love, be it music, films, books or ideas, or anything at all really. For our debut episode, Gavin introduces Nick to Talk Talk's final album, Laughing Stock. This all started, Nick, I think, because I told you that I'd been investigating CAN, that's capital C, capital A, capital N, the Kraut Rock Band, uh, and I discovered that I liked what I heard so far, uh, which is the album Tago Mago. Sounds like some kind of instant noodles, but um, Nick, you're, you're a big CAN fan, I think. I am a fan of CAN. <laughs> and when did your fan of CAN begin? Well, I was about 15. And it was 1989, and Tate Omega had been re-released. And one of my brother's friends, called Francis, bought the record, and I really liked the record. He wasn't called Frank? No, he was called Francis. Okay, fair enough. Like Black Francis. Right. So if he's listening, hi Francis, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, Francis, he, he introduced us to Can, and... Um, what is it about... Krautrock, and by the way, it always sort of sounded like a slightly jingoistic name, Krautrock. Um, yeah, it was made up by the enemy or sounds. Oh, uh, that would explain it. it. They were thinking of Hun Rock. Hun <laughs> Rock. Um, that sort of thing. Fritz Rock. Fritz Rock, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nazi vibe. <laughs> but they went with uh, Krautrock. And um, Faust actually made a song called Krautrock, which was kind oh, of okay. Yeah. So they were kind of taking it back, taking yeah. ownership exactly. of the crass insult. Exactly. I was inspired to listen to Can uh, because I read this quote by Mark Hollis of Talk Talk fame, who sadly died very recently, where he said, he said this about the categorisation of music. Uh, he said, Jazz has almost been bastardised to such an extent that if you've got a saxophone on a record, it's jazz, which is a terrifying idea. <clears throat> it's like, where would you ever place Can? To me, Tago Mago is an extremely important album that has elements of jazz in it, but I would never call it jazz. What is jazz? Um, jazz is a syncopated um, music using largely brass instruments. Are you reading from Wikipedia? No. <laughs> I'm talking to your face. <laughs> you see, I've been to Ronnie Scott's and uh, I've established that jazz involves wearing white turtlenecks, sorry, black turtlenecks, looking really unhappy, but playing very clinical, driven Yeah. Music. Uh, yeah, I've seen that at the jazz cafe as well, although they're a bit more laid back because it's a bit more soul in it. Yeah, it's a bit more fun at the jazz cafe. Yeah. And I mentioned Mark Hollis because I'm a bit obsessed with melancholy music at the moment. Um, particularly, I don't know if you remember, um, two singles by Talk Talk in the 80s, It's My Life and Life's What You Make It, um, which, if you recall the band, are two of their most radio-friendly kind of songs. Um, but I actually started getting interested in Talk Talk again um, a few years back when a friend played me an album called Spirit of Eden, which is their quotes difficult unquote album uh utterly uncommercial kind of concept album um so you know 
definitely not jumping on the bandwagon here, uh, following Mark Hollis's desk. So, uh, death, so not his desk, even. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it just seemed, listening to some of their later material, it seemed to me a bit unfair that uh, It's My Life will forever be associated with that No Doubt version. See, I, really call that I haven't heard that No Have Doubt Have you not? Yeah, I think it was in the 90s. I've heard... Uh, don't speak. Is it don't speak? By the yeah. Way? Well, it's like kind and of I've... don't speak, but with different lyrics. Anyway, there's, look, there's nothing wrong with their version, to be honest. Is uh, there? I, Is there? No, it's fine. It's fine. It's really? just that I think they recorded it when they were splitting up or going on a hiatus or having mm. creative differences or something, and they couldn't be bothered to write a new song. Um, but I just thought maybe this contributes to this perception that Talk Talk are this kind of poppy band that decided one day to get all serious and do something arty instead and sort of rapidly disappeared into obscurity as a consequence which I guess can happen yeah yeah I mean look at Radiohead (laughs) started out Creep everyone loves Creep we'll we'll come on to Radiohead later Um, (laughs) and then you know where, where, where have they been Kid A just sunk the band that's it it's over I think that's how some journalists sort of viewed Talk Talk later in their career. Um, and I can't really understand why everyone draws this line in the sand between their earlier synth-based stuff. Uh, you remember the kind of when they started out and they were very poppy. And um, I only know those two songs, It's My Life and Life's What You Make It. <laughs> but I, don't, I, can't, I probably have heard the very early synth stuff. Okay, well, you, you recall the era. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember the eighties. Duran Duran and um, it was an incredible time. Yeah, everyone was really having a great. Everyone time. was making lots of money, especially <laughs> the miners. They were making a hell of a lot. Hand of a fist. It was just happening all the time. This whole idea of poppy versus arty stroke difficult. Um, I think if you listen to their it's albums, annoying, isn't it? well, it's really annoying because it's a sort of one of those false binary oppositions. And I think if you listen to their albums in chronological order, there's a, a kind of clear progression, which is partly dictated by the means of production they had available at the time, which was basically synths. And mm. uh, Mark Hollis said, apparently he was quoted as saying that uh, they started off with synths because it was cheaper than buying proper instruments. Um, and then later on, they moved to kind of lots of uh, kind of jazz sort of... Um, Horns and um, and strings and a kind of richer sort of. Um, Would Mark Collins approve of your use of the word jazz? Yes, I think he okay. would. Carry on. Because he was a big jazz fan, <laughs> right. I think. Um, <clears throat> the more the more control they got over the process of recording, um, and the more. Uh, money I guess they had to spend on other musicians uh, the more complex the music music gets um, and even uh, as early on as It's My Life there's some quite complex stuff going there on there is um, <clears throat> and it's you know it's kind of taken me since the mid 80s to kind of appreciate that Talk Talk are a really good band which I think sort of where you That's are true. at with Talking Heads I love Talking Heads and I appreciated them in the 80s when I was a child and then had always kind of thought, oh, they're there, they Stop making fine. sense, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, a bit later than that, it was like um, Road to Nowhere. That's when I... Because that's when my ears... I was like 11 and that's when my ears were starting to... 
radar out for music. I gather you haven't heard uh, some of the later albums by Talk Talk. Colour of I, Spring. You know what? I haven't heard any of their albums. I just know a few of their songs. Okay. Yeah. So you've got... Uh, the three I would recommend are The Colour of Spring, which is the, life, uh, which is the album that Life's What You Make It is taken from. Why would you recommend that to me? When I when I I absolutely hate synth pop. Well, because it's kind of a progression from the synth pop. Okay, it's, it's kind of it's almost like the bridge to the the later kind of uh, jazz influenced stuff. I want to modify that statement. I don't absolutely hate synth pop. I quite like it. And then Spirit of Eden, which is um, basically the album where everything goes kind of batshit crazy, and everybody's like, "This is talk talk." Um, Sounds good. Laughing Stock, which is the last one they made before they kind of broke up as a band, okay. although at that point I think it was largely Mark Hollis doing most of it. Um, Who else was in the band? I can't remember. A couple Steve of other guys. Drummer, there was a drummer. There's a drummer and a bass player, and they had and a keyboard player, but he departed quite early. Kitty Synth. Um, <laughs> Kitty Synth. Yeah, Kitty Synth. <laughs> well, like Dr. Avalanche, the drum machine. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Assist of Mercy. Is that right? It's called Dr. Anna. Oh, that's great. There have been several of them, I think. The drum machine's not being particularly yeah. durable. I didn't realise that the drum machine so, is so Dr. Avalanche is reincarnated every few years when the drum machine breaks down um, and is replaced by a newer model. Um, Spirit of Eden is, is quite epic. It's, it's like this minimalist jazz rock crossover odyssey, but not in the sort of spinal tap sense that it kind of suggests. <laughs> See, I quite um, like the spinal tap sense. <laughs> so after that came Laughing Stock, which is a bit more controlled and kind of polished, but there's that same sense of a piece of music, which is the sort of culmination of this long and involved and fairly freeform process of just throwing whatever musical sounds you can discover at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, <clears throat> And they've kind of gone beyond that whole formalised pop route of writing a melody and a signature riff and then adding some lyrics and then putting a bass line and a drum beat and a catchy chorus behind it. Mm. Um, so Spirit of Eden felt like this concept of someone just planting a garden where you just throw lots of seeds into the air and they land wherever they will and whatever grows up. Um, you, you turn that into your garden, you replant some things, you move them around and then eventually you end up with this sort of relatively orderly but very varied and slightly wayward profusion of plants and flowers. Um, mm. In Laughing Stock, to continue this fairly appalling analogy... Well, uh, carry, carry on with the appalling <laughs> analogy. I like the appalling... No, keep, keep going. It's like... Uh, it's like Talk about band. home base. Well, it's... It's like they've been to home base and they've bought some rail, some fake railway sleepers and planned out some sort of raised beds, perhaps. Um, and actually selected some seeds that they want to grow. You That's know, a brave move, isn't it? Some, uh, I don't know, maybe some peppers and, mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of a few celandines and some courgettes. What's celandine? I don't know. I think they're yellow. Um, anyway, the yeah. flowers. Yeah. Um, um, so they've, they've kind of planned it out a bit and they've got, they've honed down the seeds that they want to use, but essentially then they just sow them and let nature do its thing and then see what grows mm -hmm. and decide, you know, how they're going to harvest it. So um, I'm going to move on swiftly from that really quite terrible analogy to play the first three <laughs> tracks on Laughing Stock. Uh, Merman, Ascension Day and After the Flood.
And uh, now I noticed that merman is spelled merman. Is that is that any? Well, I think mer does have two R's in it. Oh, it's like mer is in gold from, frankincense. And yeah. Mer. Okay. Yeah, I just I thought so. like it was like he was trying to speak or something. Well, it, it's, do you know what? It reminds me of that Captain Beefheart song, uh, Son of Mirror Man, Mirror Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, obviously, if you say it in an American accent, both words sound the same. It's like, Son of Mirror Man, Mirror Man. Um, oh, I didn't realise that. Uh, I've always... Wh- whatever an American accent is, but, you know. I always yeah. translate Captain Beefheart into RP English on my head. <laughs> yeah. So when he goes yeah, into the a dust rolled into a and the dust rolled back, <laughs> I I go and the dust flowed. Anyway, carry on. Okay, so here we are. This is Merman, um, I'll, and I'll stop it after we've finished listening to each track, so that you can give me your impressions. spot here what did you think of merman first track on the album what well, so this is their last album right yeah this is this is and what year is this um i think it is at the beginning of the 90s okay or maybe okay. end of the 80s okay okay um that kind of information i thought it was really about. very good um, it's just my cup of tea, in fact. Uh, and by cup of tea, I mean when I have a cup of tea, I generally listen to John Cage. Sometimes I listen to Steve Reich. Right in the afternoon. Yes. So you <laughs> yes you, you listen to you listen to historical radio from the nineteen eighties. Yeah. Um, I reckon that's going to happen soon, though. That people are going to they. There must be so many recordings out there of Steve Wright in the afternoon from the late 80s that people are going to put that on YouTube and people are going, oh, yeah, I remember the time when they laughed about Rick Astley's <laughs> hair. <laughs> um, that was, ni- it was 1991, that Okay, 19... Uh, well, that's... You know what? 91 is a flipping amazing year for albums. If well, that album... Well, what I've heard so far, that is great. That's right up my street. I can see how uncommercial it was. But I can also see, and this is going to annoy you because it's, it's a, a, a music journalist thing, I can see how it's influenced post-rock from, the, from like 95 onwards. Now, I'm glad you brought up post-rock. Yeah. Um, or math-rock. Can I talk about math-rock? You can if you like. Yeah, I've no idea what that means. I've put no, two me words neither. together. But, but all of these phrases are kind of uh, retrospective, aren't they? They're, they're sort of yes, they are, yeah. It's um, like anything that's a bit weird. It's like, how do you put this in, right? Which is which is why 
I think talk talk confuses people because it doesn't really fit in anywhere. Mm. So they invent this phrase post rock, which doesn't really mean anything because mm. it's not really like postmodernism, which is very followed a very distinct period of art and design and. So they are an architect, isn't it? Postmodern. Post-modern. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> um, but post rock, I mean, rock hasn't stopped, has it? And what is rock anyway? Well, that, would they say post hip hop? They say post hop. They said trip hop. Post hop, yeah. Post hip, post hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> no, post hip just sounds like what happens in your late sixties. Yeah, exactly. No, well, when no. You, when now. you have to have an operation. Not late sixties, right now. What's happening is just now. That's post hip. Um, anyway, let's get back. Let's get back to the track. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I thought the track was very, very good. In fact, I would say it's the best thing I've heard. Of talk talk so far, so far this evening. This evening, right? Okay. Um, uh, out, of, <laughs> out of the one track that we've heard by, it's definitely talk number talk. one. <laughs> Final thoughts on on uh, this track. Um, so you got the kind of tape hiss at the beginning yeah. and the end of the track, um, and Mark Collis is very big on silence or sounds that are so close to silence that mm. they may as well be not happening. Right. Uh, pretentious. I don't mind pretentious. For years, I used to fight against pretentious because I was quite pretentious. Right. But actually, I like pretentious these days. I think it's fine. I think that most pretentious people, if it's pretentious and it's failing, like the new Suspiria, right? Mm. Then it's a it's a bit annoying, but it's kind of like a noble failure. Right. But if it's pretentious and it works, like David Bowie in the seventies. Magic. Yeah, I think David Bowie in the eighties is more pretentious. Vocals. Do, 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 Tom York. Do, do. Well, that's okay. This is my sticking point. Uh, I do like Radiohead's. I do. I think their music is very good. I do too. I should say. But I'm Tom York's voice gets on my nerves after a while, and I feel. That Mark Hollis's voice might get on my nerves after a while. Okay, well that's a fair comment. Let's, uh, on that note, let's move on to the next yeah. track. enjoyed that as well um it was like 
acoustic hardcore. <laughs> okay, nice okay. phrase, yeah. Which um, I like to say about the best of jazz. Uh-huh. So like, uh, you know, Charles Mingus, when he's really going for it, that's acoustic hardcore, isn't it? That's quite... It's, in, it's interesting you mention that, because it's kind of got that really driving, loose, jazzy, but actually mm. quite focused drum beat, which drives it forward... Um, and everything else just sort of attaches to it and comes in mm. and out at intervals. Um, and that's the one sort of consistent thing through the whole thing, is that, that sort of jazzy drum beat. Um, which is basically Radiohead's drummer Phil Selway's kind of whole shtick right there, yeah. I think. Um, not, to, not to diss Phil Selway, because you know, he's a great drummer and they're a great band. But, but by the way, Phil, you nicked it all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not accusing no, anyone I, I of think anything I said, look, here. You know, Picasso said, uh, you know, uh, something like mediocre artists are inspired, great artists steal. I, I, I agree with that. Which it's is like, a way of saying I stole and I'm a great artist. No, right? no, but basically, no, yes, well, that's true. Because <laughs> he was a massive... He had a massive ego. But, 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 but it is, it's about where you're taking it to. It's not where you're taking it from, it's about where you're taking it to. You know, I, could, I could hear drumming in that from Art Blakey, all that sort of thing. Um, have you heard that song by uh, Modern Lovers, Pablo Picasso? Yeah, yeah, good song, yeah, yeah. How he could always pick up girls because he wasn't an asshole. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although apparently he was. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was, I don't know. Yeah, um, well, that's all right, I don't mind that people are assholes, I think that's fine. There's a couple of other things that struck, me, struck me about that track. Um, that slightly kind of atonal guitar at the beginning mm. seemed very sort of Johnny Greenwood. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, it's not really jazzy, it's not really punky, it's just it's just kind of quite anarchic somehow. Um, I think he, I think, when was that album? 91? 91, yeah. I think he had been listening to the American scene. So he had been listening to... Sort of the early grunge, not really grunge though, but like um, pre-grunge. Um, yeah, so bands like it's what you do before you uh, want to get really wasted on grunge. Is you yeah, pre pre-grunge. pre-grunge. You, you pre-grunge before you go to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> no, and not bands like Mudhoney, but bands like uh, Sonic Youth and uh-huh, yeah. people like that that he'd heard sort of certain atonality. And, I mean, maybe not for some of you, but, 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 but... But then at the same um, time, you've got something else going on. You've got those, those kind of, like, whiter shade of pale kind of keyboards, you know. It's, it's, yeah. it's, um, Don't ever say those words to me. No, I know. Whiter shade of pale... I know I, you hate that song, I, but... I cannot stand that song. But I'll come back to this later on, because they, they come in again. It's like a... It's kind of like a Hammond organ, isn't it? Although I think it's mm. actually something else. But, um... um but yeah, it's a really cool track, isn't it? Very self-assured, but it's got those. Same time, it's got those slightly um, fragile, sort of melancholy vocals, which it's very self-assured. Yeah. Which some people love, and some people just really starts to get on their nerves after a well, while. Well, this so. is what I'm worried about. Will I? Because, as I say, uh, Tom York. Sometimes I love it, and then after a while, I just want him to go away, and I want um, Iggy Pop or Sam and Dave. <laughs> you know what I mean? Someone who's, like, in charge. Well, they are in charge of their voice, but, you know, it's kind of like they're losing... It's like 
their soul is drifting downstream or something. Does that make sense to you? Not really. No, that's <coughs> fine. Well, let's let's print that. Let's put that. <laughs> let's put that in the enemy. Actually, does does the enemy exist anymore? Uh, it does online, I think. Oh, right. Um, there you go. Uh, they do yeah. a fr- it's like a... your soul drifting downstream. They distribute a free version at railway stations, yeah, which I, I think kind of sums up everything I feel yeah. about the enemy. We'll come back to the enemy yeah. later. But, um, but And then that very, very abrupt ending just ends like that. Yeah, that's not, good. I mean, it's I like not that. been done before, been done since. It's but, fine. You know, right, right then, I think, it was kind of quite in your mm. face. All right, it's great I'm, stuff. I I'm really gonna, enjoy it. I'm going to stop sounding like a muse and we're going to move on to After the Flood, which is the third of the tracks that I'm going to play you tonight. Are there only three tonight? I can play the whole album if you like. No, that's fine. Let's just do three. So there's a few things I like about that track. We met, we mentioned the keyboard thing. You, you of clearly not having the white shade of pale, oopie dooby doo thing. Um, there's that feedbacking thing in the middle. I don't know yeah. whether you picked up on that. Yes, I did. I'm not sure whether it's a guitar or a horn I don't know what or some was, kind of I liked it a lot. It was I like good. anything that sounds strange. Um, and then it kind of begins to fade out at the end. We didn't actually go on to the next track, mm. but pretty much all of these tracks segue into the into mm. the next one. Um, so it starts fading out, and then the next track cuts in. Um, and I just kind of think, even if it did fade out, I'd, I'd be fine with that. It's one mm. of those songs which just feels like it could go on forever. Yeah, that's you good. Know? And if, I like if, that. if that's what eternity sounded like, yeah, I kind of be okay with that. You know, again, you're getting, you're getting quite heavenly. Yeah, well, you know, it's just is it all about when the alternative is some sort of, you know, Judeo-Christian smugfest. Wouldn't you want that instead? I don't know. Sometimes I would go for the smugfest. I'm just saying for a little bit, not for entire eternity. I would go. But imagine if heaven was the kind of place where, like, if you spark up a cigarette or you drink a bit too much, people just kind of raise an eyebrow. Well, that's not heaven. That's earth. Right? Am I right, kids? I am right. You mean you can't smoke in heaven? Well, no, no. In in heaven, you can smoke, and it doesn't it doesn't bother anyone. In fact, they they drink the smoke as part of their nourishment. The smoke or the smug? The smug. <laughs> so I'm going to read you um, an, another quote from Mark Hollis um, f- from the same interview, actually, which was with Steve Sutherland for of uh, Medley, Melody Maker which is about the process behind recording the album we've just been listening to, Laughing Stop. <coughs> he says, and you've picked up on some of these things already, actually. Mm. Really, it's just going back to one of a couple of things, either the jazz ethic or, you know, an album like Tago Mago. Or did we decide it was Targo Margo? No, it's definitely Tago Mago by yeah. Can. 
where the drummer locked in and off he went and people reacted at certain points along the way. It's arranged spontaneity. That's exactly what it is. Arranged spontaneity. I kind of like that. To be honest, though, that is jazz. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I understand that he's annoyed at the fact that, like, Duran Duran might use a saxophone, so therefore it's jazz. It's a bit of a jazzy They number. did tour with Duran Duran, apparently. I was pretty... Well, mm. I like Duran. I actually oh, I like, like Duran, Duran. Duran I actually don't think they're bad. But I don't think their music has quite the same longevity No, no. Somehow. It's not like... I would never pick them for my Desert Island Dis. I right. wouldn't say... And now, um, Kirsty or Lauren, um, I'm going to pick... Uh, Hungry Like the Wolf, because actually I feel quite sexually voracious at the moment. Oh, I thought he was just, you know, he ate a lot. No, he, well, he loves, he, based, I, what I heard was that Simon Le Bon loved to fray bento's pie after a, after a gig. Right. And he was, he, that's the thing. If he didn't get his fray bentos on. Imagine what? being on a tour bus and you didn't have a tin opener. God. Or a microwave, for that matter. I think he used Andy Taylor's teeth to open the uh, <laughs> to open the Frey Bentos pie and warmed it up He'd on top of an the early synth, which was he, still still, yeah, hot, exactly. still hot from the he gig. He would put it onto a cog synth, <laughs> right, and it would just heat up beautifully. No, uh, I'm going to read you. Um, I'm going to read you a review, album Sorry. review from yes. the time. Um, Going back to what we started with, which is sort of perceptions and categorizations of music. Mm. I'm going to read you a review from the Times. From So this is by David Quantic, and it's from NME, and which won't surprise you when you hear the review. <laughs> Once upon a time, Mark Hollis was the intense-eyed, ranting lad who shouted, all you do is talk, talk. Then he became the anthemically, note that word, he uses it quite a lot, the anthemically melancholy lad who moaned, it's my life and never looked back from a life of anthemic melancholy. As time goes by, Mark Hollis's music has slipped into a vat of dark, brooding melancholy, so deep that even David Sylvian would join Right Said Fred. Right Said Fred, by the way, is a mid-90s... They're sort uh, of early to mid-90s band. novelty uh, band. I'm Too Sexy. Who had a song called I'm yeah. Too Sexy. Anyway, so David Sylvian would rather join Right Said Fred than partake of Mark Hollis's glummo brew. In despair, did EMI release an anthemically melancholy, there's that word again, singles album. And He's used that phrase three times, by the way. He has, yes. In this review. Anyway, carry on. I think it's to build a sort of Oh, I sense, see, right. You know, no, 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 I get, I get you. He's it's a bad writer's cool. idea of, of good writing and yeah, how yeah, to build yeah, suspense. Yeah. Um, and in more despair, an anthemically melancholy dance remix album, an act on par with releasing an ambient house mix of Sham 69's Hurry Up Harry. Cool, referencing punk there. I don't actually know that song. I know Sham me neither, but I know they were punk then. Um, only not as interesting. Now Holland has gone to Verve and recorded Laughing Stock with 23 acoustically oriented bass and organ and drum people. I assume he means musicians. There's a slight jazz feel to this record. There are elements of soundtrack ambience. There are songs called After the Flood. I would guess he means the song called After the Flood. <laughs> yeah. There's only actually one song called yeah. After the Flood. There are lyrics like A Hunger Uncurbed by Nature's Calling. The whole thing is unutterably, unutterably I can't say that word, unutterably pretentious. 
and looks over its shoulder, hoping that someone will remark on its moody brilliance, in quotes, or some such. It's horrible. Four out of ten, David Quantic. Now, what, what interests me about this review is that it's basically shit talk in this review, right? It's absolutely having a go at him. Mm. And he still gives it four out of ten. Right, okay, you think it should have been two out of ten. See, I, I think there's two things going on here. I think either he hasn't heard it, or he's kind he of... must have heard it, surely. Well, it's... That's fraud! Far be it from me to suggest... You're accusing <laughs> Quantic of fraud. Total fraud. Anyway, I'm yes. sure there's never been a critic who's written a bad review based on never having seen the mm. thing they're criticising. I'm sure that's never happened. And so he's kind of going out of his way to miss the point, really, in this Yes, album, he is. He's saying it doesn't appeal to the kids, hence the punk reference, um, even though punk was over by that point. Um, therefore, it's not very good. Um, I, I kind of wish I'd listened to this when I was a kid, you know? Absolutely. Or, or, or when I was a teenager. This is exactly the up. sort of th- thing I needed in 1991. Because exactly. In 1991, I was listening to Babes in Toyland, Hole, I wish I'd never listened to Hole, Babes in Toyland, the first two albums, pretty good. I've listened to Guns N' Roses, and, you know, I'm not ashamed of that. But, no, um, that's all right. Guns N' Roses, you know, could, come could on. could have been listening to Talk Talk instead. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, even if you don't like them, and you think that the hype is just massively mm. overinflated, um, it's just a bit of a rubbish review, isn't it? It's terrible. Um, he's, he's kind of summed up the whole tenor of his review in that review rather than the actual subject of the review mm. in sort of kind well, of unutterably teenage posturing. When was this review? It was done at the time. Yeah, it's, it's contemporary. The right yeah. said Fred must have been early 90s. I'm Too Sexy is like 91, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And to be honest, like, David Sylvian and I write said Fred sounds quite good to me because mm. we've got, because actually, yes, it's like why not have the the absolute melancholy of David Sylvian, who one of my favourite Japan songs is called The Night Porter, which is based on that film about a difficult relationship after the Holocaust. Yes, I, I know yeah. the film you mean. It yeah, is, and, it is and quite a difficult relationship, isn't it? It is quite difficult. So, right, so Fred, uh, rather than partake in this album, well, you know, I think they probably would. I, to be honest. Um, I think David Sylvia I don't know about Right Said Fred I can't begin to imagine what's going on in their heads Right Said Fred but, but David Sylvian I would say yes this, he would say this is a great album and what I've heard so far it's damn good well I think I, I, the suggestion would seem to be that David Sylvian is someone to be scorned at the same time yeah um, well this is 91 um, so this is long after um, you know Japan's uh, purple patch, right? Um, I you know, imagine it'd be more monochrome than that. To be kind of black and white. Well, it patch. would be monochrome, yeah. And he would, yeah, he would be taking tiny bits of rice <laughs> out of a tiny bowl. You had another review, I think, um, I which yeah. is which is um, actually a eulogy. I got this thing off the internet. This is from the Guardian, and it's by Graham Thompson. It's the article's called A Sacred Voice. Mark Hollis sang the English Gospel. 
I, I feel, you know, I feel for Graham Thompson because, you know, he obviously really liked him, right? And he said, it's a voice you can believe, a voice that catches and breaks when it strives too hard, ri- rising sharply before falling away at the edges of each line. It's a voice that sometimes seems, in a very English way, to surprise itself with the intensity of its passions. A bit like an Ian Forster novel. You know, like, uh, where, he, where I was about to say where equals dare. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know that Ian that, Forster novel? Yes, uh, set, set in where India. Where equals dare. No, where, where equals It starts French. off in India, but then they end up in Nazi exactly. Germany somehow. Exactly, and before, before they know it, they're, they're gunning down Nazis. Um, set, set in the uh, the era of the Raj, isn't it? Um, it is. Uh, what? Um, Ian Forster. Uh, no, only a passage of India. He did a lot of other books like Howard's End and. Um, right. This this is before. Where I'd Eagles say it was set. a bit like Where Angels Fear to Tread, which is actually a very good book that everyone should read. I'm going uh, with Where Eagles Dare. Uh, where Eagles Dare. <laughs> anyway, to carry on with the quote, it is the murmur of a confessional. It is a voice with an ingrained ache, which speaks of restrained passion and inner struggle, an ordinary earthly torment and long-for transcendence. What I think is happening here is someone's attributing holiness to Mark Hollis and Talk Talk, which may or may not be there. Mm. Uh, I think, well, they want to talk about transcendence, don't they? In the same way that might, people might talk about Verdi or um, Johann Sebastian Bach. Right. Someday Christendom will come. He sings on new grass. The final song on his last album is called A New Jerusalem. Perhaps he found it. You hope so. Now this is the thing. Was he, was he religious? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah. but, but I think uh, Graham would like to think that he was. You <laughs> You sense that Hollis had reached a place where the only meaningful statement that remained was stillness. Silence was his final song. For 20 years, he sang it beautifully. I'm so sad that it has ended. Now, I don't doubt this guy's sincerity in feeling sorry for Mark Hollis's passing. And I don't doubt that he enjoyed his silence. But, like... It feels like a backhanded compliment. It feels like he's saying, I don't actually want to hear Mark Hollis anymore. <laughs> yes. 20 right. Years of Silence. 20 Years of Silence hear. was his best record ever. I mean, you know, that's fine. But really, you know, come on. I'm going to say, right, yay or nay on Talk Talk. Right, okay. Right, yay or nay. Yeah. I'm going to say yay. All right. I am very intrigued by Talk Talk, and it's 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 made me want more. I'm glad we could have this talk. Talk. Thanks for listening to Call in the Night Boys. Today you heard excerpts from Merman, Ascension Day, and After the Flood by Talk Talk from their album Laughing Stop. Right now, you're listening to Life's What You Make It from their album The Colour of Spring. 
At the start of the podcast, you heard an excerpt of La Danseuse by Delma Lachney and Blind Uncle Caspar from Volume 2 of Harry Smith's Anthology of American Folk Music. Please buy these albums either through download or CD or vinyl or wherever. I should say at this point, Nick, that I may have given the impression that Talk Talk was all about Mark Hollis. Uh, we shouldn't forget the con- contributions of Lee Harris, who played drums with the band throughout their recording career, and Paul Webb, who played bass and contributed backing vocals to all of the band's albums apart from Laughingstock. Uh, I think it's fair to say that both played uh, a hugely important part in defining the band's sound. Similarly, Simon Brenner, who was Talk Talk's original keyboardist in the first album, The Party's Over, uh, played a hand in defining their early synth-based sound. Um, unfortunately, he left after the release of their fifth single. And last, but by no means least, Tim Freeze-Green was the band's producer from the second album, It's My Life, Onwards, and both played keyboards and co-wrote much of the material with Mark Hollis for this and the remaining Talk Talk albums. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you again soon.